The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please prepare our hearts to hear your message today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jill. All right, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, and I'm the pastor of Grace City. And, and just as uh, Brooke was talking about, we are in the middle of this, this belief of, of God saying, okay, is it better for us to be together for our city? And so we've been going through this process right now, and I just want to say, like, thank you. Thank you for all of you who have been just praying and and diligently working. Uh, There's a lot going on right now, but we believe that God is doing something that's a lot bigger than ourselves. And it's a lot bigger than just meeting on a Sunday morning. Uh, You you know, one of the things that uh, we believe is that we want to be here to be a blessing for our city. And so one of the ways that we're doing that right now is uh, we are... Uh, going to be planning over the next three weeks to be sharing some of the different ministries uh, that we're a part of and we want to encourage and really bless uh, that are outside of these walls. And so today at the end of service, you're going to be hearing from the different college ministries that we support and we're going to be hearing about how God is is using those to to, to reach college students. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about the the refugees that are being reached in our city uh, with the gospel and, and how we want to, again, bless them and be outside of these walls. And then on the 15th, uh, we're going to be doing uh, just another opportunity to to, to share about how God is blessing the schools here through the local church. Um, And so we're going to be sharing about that in just different ways. And so we've got Nate Landis from Urban Youth Collaborative who who wants to have a, a, a faith club in every high school in San Diego County. And so there are a lot of great things that are happening outside of uh, just a Sunday morning. And so we want you to know about that. And so we're going to be doing that over the next three weeks. And, and we're going to be collecting $10,000. Uh, we're going to be collecting $10,000, n- not just FBC, not just Great City, but together we're going to be collecting this. And we're going to say, okay, how can we 
send this out? How can we generously bless our city, our community? And it's not just gathering money together, but it's being the hands and feet of Christ and saying, how can you get involved? So you see those bags over there? People have already started to pack. The women's ministry have already started to pack that. Those are going out this week to college students, okay? And so, again, we are here not just to gather on a Sunday morning, but to say, how can we together be the church out in our community? Everybody on board with that? Amen? Yes? We're good with that? Awesome. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next three weeks. But right now, we are in this season called Advent, and, and it's a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And, and really, the, the heart of it is this. You know, sometimes we make Christmas into uh, just a one-day event where we say, okay, we're going to celebrate that Jesus came, and that was great, and, and we have all these presents and all these things that are happening, but it's just this one-day thing. But Advent is a season of really meditating on this idea that God became man. God became man. What, what is it that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? You're not going to find in any other religion the idea that, that God became like you and me, like this, that he suffered like you and me, that he died this gruesome death, right? Like we, we don't have that in any other faith or religious background except Christianity, and so we're talking about something and believing something that is very unique when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be meditating on that over this next month. And we're going to be looking at these verses from Luke 1 and 2 and in the birth of Jesus. And I just want to say this morning, for some of us, that might be something that we've heard over and over and over again. But my hope is that it, this does not become old news, okay, because uh, this is really important stuff. But then I also want to say that maybe this is the first time that some of you have heard this. And, I'm, and I just want to say, I'm glad that you're here. Right? This is the right time. This is the right season to really hear about who is God? What has he done? This is important. You know, uh, J.I. Packer said something really helpful when he said this. He says, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Nothing in fiction is, is as fantastic as the belief of the incarnation. Here's the thing. This isn't fiction. This is nonfiction. This happened. This is historical. And so how are we, during this season, going to think on this, this amazing thing that God has done for us? So our text today is from Luke 1, 26 through 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you haven't turned there yet. But that's what we're going to be looking at today. And here's the message. Responding to God's greatest gift. Responding to God's greatest gift. You know, during this season, many of us are thinking about gifts that we're going to give or maybe gifts that we're going to receive, but what is it that God has given us? So again, we're going to be looking at Luke 1 and 2, looking at the birth of Jesus. And so what's happening in today's text? Here's what it is. If you sum it up, it's this. It's a response. Mary is responding to a gift that God gives. She's responding to it. Pastor Timothy Keller says this. He says, 
Someone usually says this is the first Christmas. Let's look at it when talking about this text. He said, I'd like you to consider today that when we listen to Mary, how she received the message from the angel and how she responded to it, what you have here is the first Christian. She's the first one to ever hear the message of Christmas and therefore the specifically Christian message about Jesus and she responds to it. Her response is nothing less than a conversion. It's a conversion. Right, there is something spiritual that's happening here in Mary in her life as she's hearing this message from the angel Gabriel. She's changed by it. See, the message of Christmas isn't just to listen and to know and to hear that, oh yeah, there was a birth that happened 2,000 years ago, but there is meant to be a transformation that happens in our hearts. And so what we see is that Mary's response is that she was changed by knowing that God became man. And so what is your response to this announcement today? C.S. Lewis in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, from the Chronicles of Narnia, gave this depiction of when the beaver was talking about Aslan. If you know the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that Aslan is the Christ figure Throughout the story, he's this, this a lion that is, that is this, uh, this presence that, it, that is, it just helps us to understand more and more of like who Jesus is in our lives. And so um, the beaver's talking about Aslan. He says, that, he says this, they, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. And this is where we need to listen in. And now this very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump up in, in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if this delicious smell or, or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. See, what that picture is, is that when they started to hear about Aslan, there was a response on the inside. And my hope is that when you hear about Jesus coming, that there is a response on the inside that changes you on the outside, that we are different people because of it. And so our text again is Luke 1, 26 through 28. And, and the author, Luke, is, is writing to a non-Jewish audience. And the thing we find out about Luke is Luke is very technical because what we find out is that he is a doctor. And so he, Luke is the same one who writes the book of Acts. And Luke is, is writing to a non-Jewish audience. So this is, again, very helpful for us today because most of us are probably coming from a non-Jewish background. But he gives us the setting of what's happening here in verse 26. And he says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now what we find out is that Elizabeth is older in age and that Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary. And so as she, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And so what we find in scripture is that angels are created beings by God they're not like you and me. They're different. You know, my, I was talking with my kids uh, this past week, and we were having a conversation about heaven, and they're like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to grow these wings, and we're going to be flying around. I said, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. You know that, right? It's not going to happen like that. 
You aren't going to turn into an angel. Angels are different creatures. You're different. You are a human being, right? And so God created you different than the angels. And, and so God has these angelic messengers, and Gabriel is one of them, uh, to bring this message to Nazareth, the t- a town in Galilee. Now, Nazareth is a place where Jesus would grow up, but he wouldn't be born there. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It was predicted in Micah 5.2 that he would, be, he would be born in Bethlehem. And we'll see the story progress. But Jesus would grow up in Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And what we know about Mary is that she was a young girl, right? Some uh, scholars think that she was a teenager. And so a young girl getting this huge Massive message from God, this calling on her life. And so the question is, what is Mary responding to? Right? As God comes to her, what's she responding to? And so we're going to break this down from today's text because in many ways what we can do is we can respond just to Mary, but there is a response of, of, of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing that we need to look at today. And so there's three things that we see that it's a response. It's a response to God's, number one, presence, number two, grace, and number three, promise. So you see, what is God meeting Mary with? His presence, his grace, and his promise. So we're going to look at that today from the text, okay? And so uh, we're going to start with the first point. From, uh, the, is, the first one is it's a response to God's presence. Uh, look at verses 28 and 29. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, when we look at verse 28, as we see the angel here is speaking, we first see that there's this phrase, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And what this does for us is it gives us a picture of God. That God is not some distant cosmic being out there but instead is one that comes near. Right, this is the most important thing that has ever come into Mary's life. And what she needs to know more than anything is that she's not alone. The Lord is with you. See, what we see throughout all, all the Bible is that God is relational we think sometimes that God is all about the rules and he's all about bringing down the hammer on you and 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 maybe we know that he's relational but in many ways what we do is we respond to him like he's just this judge ready to judge me right there's a portion of God that that's true but what we need to understand is that there is a relational aspect to God where he comes near to people who don't deserve it And what we see in in Mary's life is that God comes close to her. See, we need to get this, this idea that God comes near to people like you and me. Because if we don't get that, we won't understand the gospel and we won't understand the incarnation. 
because God is about to become more vulnerable and close than we could have ever imagined. He's about to become a baby. God becomes a baby. You can't get any closer than a baby, right? Again, I've had three of my, my wife has given birth to three of them. I have had them very close to me, and they get so close to you, and that's how God is about to be. That's the announcement here. Right? God, in his presence, comes very near. In 2005, Albert Moeller wrote an article called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, the New American Religion. And he breaks down the research of a man named Christian Smith um, from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And he did this study on teenagers and their beliefs about God. And here's what he writes. When Christian Smith took a close look at the religious beliefs held by American teenagers, they found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something the researchers identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. Smith explains, this faith is about belief in a particular kind of God, one who is not personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved. Most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. God is breaking through into this world in the form of a baby. And here's the thing I know about babies. They don't care about your schedule. They don't care if it's comfortable for you. They don't care about any of those things that you hold in high esteem. They don't care about that. They are going to break through in a way that is going to disrupt everything that you thought your life was about. And God is about to disrupt everything that Mary thought her life was about up to that point. Her life was about to change. You see, this view, this moralistic, therapeutic deism, sadly, many in America believe this today, but this is not Christianity. And if you might believe that today, but I hope that you find that God is much greater than anything like that. See, the God of the Bible is near, he's present, he's active within history and within his creation. God is not some absentee father that comes in and says, I've created you, I'm gone, but says, I am here with you every step of the way. He's engaged in the story. So that's his presence. Second, it's his grace. Look at verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of the, his kingdom there will be no end. See, what, what is this grace, right? We, we get the presence part. He comes near. But what, what is this grace that he's talking about here? Well, there are two parts to it. The first one is this, that grace 
Understanding it, it's, it's God's pursuit of us. Look at verse 30. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, what we find up to this point, it doesn't say anything about Mary pursuing God in this moment. But we see this angel, Gabriel, showing up to her and telling her something. That you have found favor with God. This phrase, have found favor, is, is a common phrase in the Old Testament. It's, it's, in this, it's two Greek words. But, but a good translation is this, that, that Mary, God's grace has come upon you. You have been met with grace. You weren't looking for it. You didn't know it was coming after you. But today you're meeting what's been pursuing you the whole time. You have found favor with God. If you look all throughout the Old Testament, this word for favor is the same word that is translated for grace. See, you say, what is grace today? Grace is that undeserved, unearned love that God meets us with that we could have never earned. And Mary is met with that type of love and acceptance. Dane Ortland says, while the Bible is not uniform, it is unified. The many books of the one Bible are not like the many pennies in the one jar. The pennies in the jar look the same, yet are disconnected. The, bi- the books of the Bible, like the organs of the body, look different, yet are interconnected. Underneath and undergirding all of these is the motif of God's grace, his favor and love to the undeserving. Don't we see the grace of God in every book of the Bible? It's all there. And so Mary has been met with grace. You know the thing about Mary? She wasn't perfect. She was a person just like you and me. She sinned. She had her hard days. Yet God has come to her and met her with grace. See, what this looks like is that the storyline, the overarching storyline of the Bible continues to be God is the hero of the story. It is God's gracious pursuit of Mary that she experiences in this moment. This is God finding the simple, the lowly, the poor, the humble, and saying, you are the one to give birth to the greatest gift this world will ever know. Who could have deserved this type of gift? No one. No one. Yet God met her right where she was at. And so this is God's pursuit of Mary, meeting her and giving her this gracious gift. But the second part is this. This is grace. This grace is personified. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Hold on. So this grace isn't just an idea, but it's lived out in a person. It's lived out in a person. Preston Sprinkle says that Jesus is not just the beginning of the New Testament, but also the fitting climax of the old. Jesus came into our world as a man to embody grace. 
to embody it. Right? Do you remember what it says in John? It says that when they came into contact with Jesus, it was like grace upon grace. It humbles you. It makes you different. It changes you from the inside out. When you truly meet God and understand the reality of who I am and who he is and that he would even want to be around me, right? This is something that we don't deserve. And so there's grace in this. But lastly, there's a promise. Look at verses 34 through 37. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her with her at, who has, uh, w- was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So lastly, there's a promise. What do we learn from this? Well, when God makes promises, number one, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. Right, God is is making this promise. He's saying this is what's going to happen, but she asks a question. Look at verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? If you go back to verse 29, and she hears this announcement, here's what it says. In verse 29, there is this word that is used, discern. The original word that's used in the Greek is basically to examine, to make an audit. Some of you CPAs understand that word, right? It's an accounting word. To make an audit. And so she's listening to all of these things that are being said, and she is examining All of it. This is a thoughtful decision that she's making. She's coming to God and she feels comfortable with asking questions. Maybe some of you have grown up in the church your whole life and you you started to ask questions here and there and people say, well, you can't ask questions. You're not allowed to ask that here. But here's the thing I know about God. God is not afraid of your questions. God is more than able to answer your questions. What we find here is that he's not afraid of Mary's questions. Oz Guinness, who's a brilliant theologian, he says, if ours is an, an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. Again, God is not afraid of your questions. And as you dive deeper into finding the answers and praying and saying, God, can you help me with this? You'll find out that God is able to meet you in that place. I want you to think for a minute. She understood the cost of all of this. This young teenage girl living in a small town, engaged to be married but not yet married, being pregnant. 
She had to think about all of these things because it would affect the rest of her life. She could have told people, hey, this is what God told me, but how many people are going to look at her and say, she's lying. Look at how terrible of a person she is. Look look at all, all the rumors that start. Right, she is thoughtfully thinking this through. This is going to change her life forever. She knew what she was getting herself into. It's okay to ask questions. Second, about God's promises, it happens on God's strength, not our own. It happens on God's strength, not our own. Look at verse 35. After she asked this question, how will this happen? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. This whole conversation is very important. There's a lot behind it, but but what we need to know is this. As the Holy Spirit conceives within Mary, we find that Jesus is fully man and fully God. 100% man, 100% God. You say, how is that possible? Only God can do it. Because what God knew that many of us didn't or many times forget is that we can't do it on our strength. We strive and we strive and we work and we work and we think that we got to work our way to God, right? Like I got to get my life cleaned up. I got to get my life together and then God's just going to love me more. Right? That's what we think. But the thing that God tells us is this. You could have never worked your way to, to him I could have never worked my way to him. And so what it was going to take is what we would have deemed impossible, that God would become a man and that he would take it upon himself. You see, this promise wasn't just for Mary. This was a promise given all the way back in Genesis 3.15. You know what it's called? It's called the Proto-Evangelium. Derek Kidner calls that the, the first glimmer of the gospel. Right, we just finished up Genesis. You want to know where the gospel starts? It starts all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And now it's just coming to life in Luke through the person of Jesus Christ. See what it says in Genesis 3.15? It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know what this means? You know, I, I always wonder, like, how does that, what, what, how does that play out? Like, what, how is that about Jesus? Well, he's speaking to the, the devil here. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. What is the thing that will give the death blow to Satan? Jesus. The one that, the offspring that she will give birth to. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right, the thing that we thought was gonna kill Jesus only was a strike to his heel. Because ultimately, as God comes into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, it says that he will crush your head. He crushes the head of, of, of Satan. He crushes the head of the enemy. He crushes the head of our sin. He crushes it all through the cross. 
And how does God do that in the most vulnerable way in coming as a child, as a baby, as a human being, as you and me? We would have never been able to guess this. We would have never been able to come up with this. But God did. And he did it through a teenage girl. And so just some takeaways. What can we learn from Mary's response? Because Mary responds to all these things that God does. And so you can see it in verse 38 where she says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is a profound statement in Scripture. But the first one is this. The first word she uses is behold. And so my challenge to you is this. Behold the story until it changes you. Behold the story until it changes you. Right, again, we, 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 we just want to kind of skip over this story like, oh, I already know it. But here's my challenge to you. Will you lock eyes with it? Will you lock eyes with this story so long that it will change you, that you will be made different, that you will be somebody who is changed from the inside out? As was told earlier, we had these Advent readings, and, and what they are is, is scriptures from the Old Testament and then the New Testament and in helping to see how it all comes together. Will you take time during this season to say this is so important that I will, I will open up this word and, and, and read it? Right? There's some guidance through it. It's okay if this is the first time that you're actually reading the Bible. There's no condemnation in this place. This is an invitation to open it up and see the wonders of this story. Recently, I watched with my kids the old Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It was written in December 1843. And in it, it's a story about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Right, and I could just say that name and it just fits, right? Scrooge, oh man, just this negative person who, who's just, everything is wrong with the world and Scrooge. But then he has this encounter with three spirits one night that eventually it changes him because it, it shows him his life, his story from a young boy to the people that he works with. And it takes him throughout and it takes him all the way to his grave. And Scrooge gets to this last point, the, the spirit the, the, of death, right? And here's what he says. He yells out, spirit, clutching to its robe, hear me. I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man I, I must have been before this time. Why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. 
I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. How is a Scrooge transformed? You know, it was really the weakness of a weak, tiny Tim, right? The weakness of this little boy that he knew would die that changed him. And again, when you look at the story of Christmas, nonfiction, and you see that God came in the most vulnerable state for you and me, what does that do to your heart? How does that change us? How does that make us different? Second, understand who you are and who God is. You know, one of the most important things about this text is her response when she says this. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. If I were to ask you who you were, what would you say? Fill in the blank. I am blank. See, if you asked Mary, based on everything she's heard, God's presence in her life, God's grace on her, God's promise to her, here's what she says. I am the servant of the Lord. This is far different than some cosmic divine butler up there. No. God is not my servant, but I'm his. Here's all that God has done for me. Here's my response to him. Do you understand the order of that? Because that's really important. If you're to understand the gospel, you need to understand that God responded to you first before you responded to him. It says that God loved me first before I loved him. And so everything that we do is in response to everything that God has already done. That's the gospel. And so let me ask, have you truly heard the gospel? Have you let it transform your life? Or are you treating God like a consultant rather than Lord? Because the only response when you truly know the gospel, when you truly know Christ, is that you say, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, whatever you desire, I'm here to serve you. And lastly, surrender to his word. You see what she says at the end? She says this. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Here's a beautiful thing about God's word. It's alive. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's the thing. If there's anything that's touched your heart today, it wasn't me or it's not Pastor Scott or it's not anybody else. It is God's word. It is God that is active and alive. See, this isn't about any man. This is about God. And so today, I just want you to know that his word is living and active, and will you surrender to his word? See, because God is not the big guy yelling from the top of the stairs. No, God's the one who came down the stairs and brought this word to you. So will you surrender to it?
I was listening to a message recently from a pastor. His name is Pastor Francis Chan. And one of the things he said is, is this. He says, you know, a lot of the times, what, what are you seeing? And, and I think this is true, is this. We, we have God's word. But instead of listening to God's word, we put our emotions and our feelings and what we think above his word. And so what happens when God's word comes above my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings. Will you surrender and listen to what God's word says? Right, will you let that change you? Because here's the gospel today. John 1.14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. God didn't just send a word through a messenger and say, obey me, which he had every right to. No, what God did was, he says, I'm sending my word and it's me in the flesh. And so it was God in the flesh and we sing this, this hymn every Christmas, right? He was born to die. He was born to die. Jesus was born to die, not for himself, but for you and me. The greatest gift this world has ever seen. And so will you let that change you from the inside out this Advent season? That's my prayer. That's my hope above anything else, that we see God for who, tr who truly is, the greatest gift giver. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this great gift that you've given through Jesus Christ. We could have never earned it or deserved it, but you gave it. You knew the greatest cost. There was a lot of cost that Mary had to face, but none of it could compare to the cost that you would face for us on the cross. And so we pray that we lift up Christ in this place today. We lift up your word, and we know that it's true. You came for us, and you died for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.